Welcome to The Uncertain Artist, where each week we discuss the highs and lows of forging a life in the arts, specifically the collaborative arts, and mostly here in Seattle. Our starting point each week is an episode of the YouTube show, The Uncertain Detective, which was created by me, Greg Lashow, and I'm joined by our show's writing and story consultant, Joe Guppy. Today, we'll be discussing episode 17 from our second season with our guest, Matt Smith, who plays the role of the deputy mayor. So, Joe, did you get a chance to watch the episode? I did. I did. I enjoyed it thoroughly. That's nice. Yeah. How about you? Did you take a look? Uh, well, no. And I thought of another reason. Really? Well, it's actually the same reason, but mm. what I realized is you're skeptical. <laughs> okay. So I have a hard time watching my show because I'm afraid something's going to go wrong, mm. which you think is silly. I do. But uh, many times when I have, so I'll tell you another story. Mm. Mm. So uh, long ago, I was uh, the uh, curator for the Seattle uh, Jewish Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And I think that film festivals, are you listening, should commission artists to make films. Mm. So I tried to do that and no one would take me up on it. And so I made a film for the festival myself. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was based on the Nathaniel West story, Miss Lonely Hearts. Mm -hmm. And it could have been really good. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, you know, it was good, but it was a rush job. And uh, I also didn't really know what I was doing in the land of digital. So anyway, it was at the Cinerama. It was mm. a pretty full house. Yeah, beautiful. Great place. And uh, the film goes on, and I wander away because I can't watch it. And as it turns out, I had inadvertently hit a, something and muted mm. a scene. Mm. Um, and at the same time... Our uh, festival's director, Molly, who's wonderful, um, had introduced the show uh, with her handheld mic, and she had not turned her mic off when she came out into the lobby. Mm -hmm. And so during the exact moment that I had inadvertently muted, what you heard was, I want my money back, <laughs> because <laughs> someone had gone into the lobby and demanded their money back because they weren't enjoying this movie at all. Mm -hmm. And Molly tried to explain, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's experimental. It was just... <laughs> Well, well, uh, wait a minute. This, to the this, ground, embarrassing. This, this sounds to me like a, a, a crowning achievement of performance <laughs> art. Well, uh, okay, so here's the... Real-time performance a, art. Uh, I wasn't going to say this part, but uh, you know Brian Faker. Mm -hmm, sure. I have no idea why he was in the audience, but he was. And he, at the time, was uh, one of the people who ran the Seattle Children's Film Festival. Mm -hmm. uh, Children's... Uh, yeah, children's festival in general, which had some good money. Yeah. And uh, he came up to me after and said, that was the bravest thing I've ever seen. He, he, I, I tried to explain to him that all the things he had seen were completely inadvertent mistakes because mm -hmm. there were many others I didn't mention. Mm -hmm. And he thought I'd just been super brave and commissioned me on the spot. To make a piece for the for the Seattle Children's Festival. Well, it sounds to me like another uh, fine example of why you should you should watch your stuff. I guess, yeah, or something like well, that. Well, so yeah, tell me a little bit about. I'm trying to remember episode 17. What? Well, uh, well, I totally, like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. One of the things I realize is that by watching them again for the podcast, that there, even though I do watch the episodes or I did watch them right after we do them, 
they're all fragmented in my mind, mm -hmm. like like composed of editing or a meeting or a script consultant or whatever the heck we, we did to put the thing together. But then I get to just watch them with perspective and they're just really fun, really fun. And, and I'll tell you what a highlight for me was, okay. uh, was um, the commitment to having Charlie in the car going through the numbers, one through 10. Is that in that episode? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and 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 it's a typical piece of uh, Greg Lachow uh, 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 brilliance, if I may say. I don't want to pour it on well, too it's really thick. Charlie, but well, Charlie's brilliant. But the commitment of the filmmaker to just have that lockdown shot of this guy going through numbers one through ten is beautiful, and, and it's it's hilarious. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Yeah. Um, and wow, that episode's pretty chock full because it has it is. Uh, one of my uh, favorite bits uh from any part of the show um and i was gonna say because i wrote it which i wrote the whole thing but this in particular was like a challenge because i knew matt was coming to play the role mm -hmm. and you know i got up my game is sort of how i felt and i had mm -hmm. this idea for a scene and I, it, you know it came out okay like matt mm -hmm. killed it yeah but my writing wasn't bad like mm -hmm. i was actually like felt something about it that Worked. I don't know, maybe we'll play a clip right now and listen. Lights! Hello, K-Ron. It's Deputy Mayor Smith to you. You're looking well. Who is this? Uh, you're 10 o'clock. I'm sorry, do I know you? I never forget a face. But in your, your case, case, I'll, I'll make, make an, an exception. exception. It's me, Alice. Well, you have to leave. Your appointment was three hours ago. I'm very busy by four o'clock. be arriving any moment now. She's been waiting a long time. Are you sure you don't recognize her? Take another look. Who the hell are you? I'm nobody. Who are you? I am the... Deputy mayor of this damn town. That's who. You'll excuse me. I have some important business to attend to. A toddler has fallen down a well, and I'm the only one that can save him. Yeah, I mean, I I was lucky because I got to to get Matt uh, to do the part, um, and we had worked together only briefly once before. Um, you of course know Matt from what? Improv world. Uh, we've we've done a quite a bit of performance together. Come to think of it, and you grew up together. Right? And we grew up together. <laughs> so let me introduce Matt Smith, our guest. Hey, Matt. Hi. <laughs> You've been there the whole time. Um, let me start by saying, uh, uh, I I had an intro for you, and then weirdly this morning I read some famous author's quote that said the the uh, most obvious way to put someone down is to heap praise on them and everyone knows it. <laughs> so that made me think a little bit. But I will say, nevertheless, uh, I was thinking of peak theatrical experiences in my life. And uh, two shows that I saw you make are like in my top five of wow. all time, like 
most ex interesting, exciting. So welcome and uh, thanks for being here. Well, what are those shows, Greg? I, I, we, <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> well, I know Matt wants to know. I didn't look up the names. So there was one that you did it on the boards downstairs. Does that ring a bell? Beyond Kindness. Beyond Kindness. That sounds right. And then I saw one in New York, which I think was called All My Children. Yeah which was maybe the best thing I've seen in theater. Okay, enough of the praise. So uh, welcome, and uh, let me start by asking you a question that I considered before we got here. So you kind of have uh, worked in sort of the spectrum of we're making it up now to it's a finished film and it's been edited to death. Like you've, you've you know, explored that whole realm. And I'm specifically interested in when you make work for live theater, so for instance, All My Children, which in my view sort of depends for its uh, dramatic sort of tension and urgency on the fact that we're all here together and we're a little uncomfortable. Like it's a, it's not uncomfortable in a squeamish way, but it's just like, ooh, this is awkwardly uncomfortable and it's just phenomenal. I loved it. But how do you, how do you work without an audience well, I yeah. do have an audience. I haven't, I've never done anything alone. I can't, really. Um, even if I write like a short story or, or even a newsletter, I'll ask Joe to read it. And Joe does, uh, makes me mad, tells me what he doesn't understand, things like that. But, <laughs> but, 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 it, but it's helpful. You know about that. Uh, but uh, for, I started out doing improv and I was like 31 years old. I'd never been on stage or anything. And oh, I just, really? I discovered, I discovered improv, and I was like, okay, this is what I was looking at. I was, I was, I was thinking about an interesting article that somebody could write or I could write. And one of them, and to ask people, what's your, what's your uh, there but for the grace of God go I job? When you see somebody doing that job, you think there but for the grace of God go I. And for me, it's a tour guide. Nothing wrong with tour guides. But, you know, it's a hassle and you got to raise your voice and you got to holler, you know what I mean? And it's hard, you know, and I, and I may do that someday. So I don't, I'm going to, uh, that's fine. But, uh, and then what is a, what is, what is the route that you might've taken mm. to get, you know, to where I want to go? I this doesn't answer your question, except for, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. And when I was in New York in 1975, I confessed to somebody, a waiter at the restaurant I was working at that secretly you were working yeah i was, it, I was busting tables and i secretly wanted to be a comedian and he came back a week later said i got you 15 minutes at catch rising stop i love him so do i but i didn't do it there was there was no way there was just i said i don't have anything i've never written, i've never written anything so, well put something together you know it's like it's like a you know mm. and uh and i never did it and so <laughs> i spent like 10 years and then so when i discovered improv when i was like 31 it was like this is it. This is what I'm looking for because I kind of hit bottom and uh, I, I was just kind of running away from doing that, you know, what I might have done mm -hmm. uh, before. It, yeah. It's remarkable that Matt is like one of the one of Seattle's premier improv teachers and uh, been doing it for years and years. And yet you started so, so late. Um, That's well, the if, if <laughs> I, I want to answer your question, but if I'm a decent teacher, I think it's only because I really connect with the obstacles to letting go mm. i'm out really it was was not easy for me it took me mm. 10 years mm -hmm. you know to be able to to do that but the the 
oh, but, so I started doing improv with theater sports, and then I worked with a group called None of the Above. Roberta McGuire, who's like the godmother of improv in the Northwest at the time, let me into that group. And then she and a guy named Ed Sampson oh, yeah, yeah, and right. me uh, had a three-person improv group, so that got, gave me a taste of doing more interesting stuff and spending more time on stage as opposed to trying to get in, you know, and, and all that. And then me and Ed started working together. Uh, we decided to do one play. And again, I thought, yeah, let's do something together. You and did a scripted play? Yeah. That you wrote, guys that wrote? Me and, mm -hmm. That me and Ed wrote together. Yeah. And uh, I was going to do the same thing I did in New York. So that sounds good and not do it, you know. But Ed said, I got us a spot in two months. I said, what? And he said, you know, so I guess we have to do this now. So we wrote this piece about our dads where Ed played his dad as an Alzheimer's patient, and I played my dad as a stroke patient, which they your, both had been, which we were both, we were yeah. both channeling our dads, really, yeah. as if they were roommates in a nursing home. And it was by far, uh, for me, it's the best thing I've ever done. And, and, uh, and it was, you know, one of those experiences where you do something that, that, I, that I can't do, you know what I mean? Just, mm -hmm. And we got Rita Giomi to come in and look at it and form it into something that, that somehow, so bits of pieces that, became this kind of this piece. And so Ed and I decided we are going to work with each other until we couldn't stand each other, and we did. Still love each other very much, but <laughs> they were going to get back but together. You but guys did we that, five that, plays, yeah. That, that, that one called Here, which is right. about your, uh, your parents, is a fantastic piece, and um, many others after that. Here, there, uh, he, uh, oh, yeah, that was later. And then, uh, anyway, my uh, Last Supper was one of them. Anyway, we some plays. And then... Me and Ed stopped working together, and I was doing uh, kind of business theater stuff. I was trying to use it and get paid. So this was your this was, way of making money. Yeah, I was trying to. And what's but business I was trying theater? to what what's business theater? Oh, this was really interesting. It started with me and Ed working with a guy named Jonathan Rosen, and he would get these gigs. He was he was in the inner circle of Mahar Marish Yogi. Mm. for years and years and then he shared right. and then he was he had a guru in india he spent all his time in india that was part of him and he had this uh rasputin like kind of quality to him and he he would uh get us these gigs working first thing we did was with two lumber companies who were struggling because one group had uh been the sole distributor for the other group for a year they came from the same family I think, and then the the big group said they were going to take bids on that, and it was just, you know, they were falling apart. Mm. You know what I mean? What they hire you to do? Therapy, in essence, it's called. There's a there's a version of improv called playback theater, and we didn't call it that, but that's kind of what it was. Where it was started by a guy named Jonathan Fox, and it's if you ever get a chance to see it, it's it's really cool sometimes. Um, and you have a facilitator, and you have person who tells a story and then the performers it's usually some musicians and artists they play back the story that they just heard and it's usually and it's uh it's for therapy usually kind of an improvised version it's all improvised yeah, yeah totally an improvised. interpretation that allows the uh, audience to or the the, the patients uh, to see their story in a different right. perspective right and one thing that jonathan uh taught me was that no one can resist their own story so, so we did some stuff that was just horrible as, as a piece of art, but it was about them. You know what I mean? We have to find something and, and try to 
personalize it, you know, make it, make it so, somewhat interesting. So let me just get back to, so you're, ever since you were 31, now you're in Seattle, you're yeah. 31. You've been sort of combining right. your, creating your own work right. with sort of being able to use those same skills as an auctioneer, as a, a business therapist, right. right? Like that's sort of what you've been You've never. You, you, that's how you've made it through yes. to today. Is yeah, that true? and all, all the solo pieces I did because I used to write. But you can't. Solo poems. You can't I did make that a with good Brett living Fetzer. At that. Mm. I did that with Brett Fetzer. Oh, you, you Brett can. Was I your... can't. It can be done, but right. I wasn't able. To. Was Brett that your was goal? Dramaturg. Brett was director. my dramaturg. So was your goal like I'll make a one a one person show and be Spalding Gray and and make a living at it? Was that sort of what no, you were never. thinking? Uh, well, yeah, no, I never had any delusions about. They weren't that. delusions. The shows were. I mean, I wasn't I, about kidding making money. Yeah. Oh, and you know, part of that's on that, that, that's that's on me because if mm. I, I see people who make who make money doing it, and they have uh, there's some hustle, you know, yeah. and they and the, the hustle. And I, I, we made a film uh, based on well, film of my last year with the nuns, which was a feature film. It was fantastic. And then I was thinking, okay, we said, well, make why don't you make a film out of uh, uh, all my children. Which and we had an idea too. of how to do it and all that, but there's no way I can go back out and, so, and yeah, ask so people me, for money again. It's just too much. So it's hard for me to understand making your work into a film because, as I said, like when you're there, there's just this tension that you get in the theater and nowhere else. Right. And how you recreate that? No, you can't recreate that on film. So you, I, I would imagine you'd have, like, I've thought about approaching you and saying, hey, I, I would love to make all my children into a movie. But I would have had to have a way in that was completely new and different. Um, I wouldn't even begin to imagine I could create the the tension that's in the in the room when we're maybe watching. the the premise of all my children would be good to uh, explain here. And I notice I'm I'm doing what each of oh, yeah. you uh, get annoyed <laughs> well, with, which idea. is no. what's clear. It's okay. not all my children. Is, well, before is he it? said, before yeah. you answer that, because Joe's doing something. You, you and I, I realized as soon as you said it, we sort of went like that. We have a shared experience of Joe's our audience. We write something, we send it to Joe. No one else is seeing it. So what we really want is an email back that basically says best thing ever. We really don't want anything else in our right. in our Because it is usually. Because yeah, yeah, of course. And then Joe will say, "Well, I have a problem with," and your heart just sinks, right? And the way he says it, the way you say it, is like, "I have a problem with pretty much everything about what you just sent me." But what comes through is I have a problem with the fourth word on page three. I think it should be the and not a. <laughs> and it's such a relief. Have you had that experience? Oh, yes. Yeah. Except I get kind of, okay, Joe, all right. Because um, we're just opposites in, when it comes to, to certain things. And like, uh, but what's interesting, when I'm working with Joe, he doesn't force the solution. He'll, he will state the problem and i said well yeah but it works for me he goes yeah but i don't understand it and uh i said well yeah as i say but if i don't understand it i don't think anybody is going to understand what is it you mean i tell them what i mean well that that's not what it says and so usually we'll sit there for a second and often in the moment i'll come up with something i'll come up with something else that solves the problem and has and it's way 
totally different than it got rid of the problem kind of it didn't solve the problem it kind of went a different direction mm. and somehow deep down i got what i wanted out of it right that's the feeling yeah that, this is praise for you because the yeah. feeling you get when you leave is oh right that's what i meant to do anyway yeah and yeah. i've never i've never gone back to an old draft and think that was better no, no. ever yeah. okay all, so tell us all uh, about uh thanks you guys yeah all my children okay all my children it's a monologue and i went to Brett and I said, okay, I got an idea for this monologue. It's about a guy who, um, he's, he never got married. He's just kind of a playboy kind of a guy. And he finally has grown up and he thinks back and he realized there are six women in his life that he might've married had he been more mature at the time. And did some research, kind of looked him up. And uh, he found out that all six of them were married within like a very short time of breaking up with him. And so I felt bad about, you know, kind of pushing somebody into anybody's going to look good after me kind of a thing. And then they all had a one kid after about a year. And, uh, and that made him feel bad too, because, you know, and then, and, and, uh, and they all had one kid only. So it's like, uh, I felt like I needed to, he felt he like needed to make amends to him. So he ends up tracking one of them down, the children of one of them. So he looks up all the children, these six children, these six only children. First one, and he ends up telling the first one over lunch, he just kind of blurts out, uh, it's going on that he, he's her real father, her biological father, which he knows is not true. And, uh, and he does that to all the kids. And the way I remember seeing it, because you're sort of telling it in a way that when I, when I saw it in New York, the first kid had just happened. Yeah. As an audience member, we didn't know or I don't remember knowing, oh, and there are going to be more. I sort of remember it feeling like this character, something went, oh, and, and he was almost addicted to revealing himself as a father right. to right. others. It's not like he had planned it out in advance. And it's it's uh, strangely moving and mm. creepy at the same time. Yeah. Well, and he, he ends up creating a relationship with a few of them. Yeah. And... Uh, and it's this kind of family. And I didn't, ex some people came up to me and they, and they, they came from mixed families and uh, some of them had doctors and kids, some had foster parents. I, I heard from all kinds of people who would, who talked about the makeup of family, you know what I mean? And it meant a, a lot to them, you know, that, that for me, it was just trying to play a passive aggressive guy. I, I, I think it's sort of an essence of, of Matt Smith, which is, there's sort of this cynical darkness in in what you do, and and yet there's this very warm heart in in there as well. And that 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 premise and the execution of that premise is perfect. Because if you think about, um, you, you know, a, a, you could execute that premise in a real a real kind of a crass, cynical way, and it, it wouldn't be any fun. But uh, but you, you you pull off this delicate balancing act that that uh, that obviously people celebrated. No, and, 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 and to be honest, uh, I was basing it somehow on had I had a kid with this person or 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 this person, what that kid might have been like. You know what I mean? Yeah. And one of them I was crazy about, one of them was really smart, one of them not so much. You know what I mean? It was, it was like I was, I was really, con really connected to you know, all these loves of my life. It was kind of in a way. In a way, it was a way to—I uh, don't know. 
make amends to myself for not being more mature or something. I don't know. Wow. And you, you, that came about because you said to Brett, let's make a show. Did you have a, and he said, did you Brett have said, a deadline? And Brett said, did you have a commission? Did you have a theater in mind? Was no, it just no, start from, no. start before we have well, first of all, Brett said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all I needed. And, uh, I didn't you know the way I the way I said it the first time I probably wasn't as articulate as I just I just did because I hadn't hadn't written it yet, and then I just no Brett and I had had done uh, several pieces before that. So then you go looking for a theater to do it in, or how yeah. Does that first we do it. First we, first we write it and get close, and then we look for some place to do it. And this one started as I got a commission. It's the only commission I I think I got. Uh, New City Hugo House was doing this thing. They were starting. This is the first of several, where they commissioned. They they gave us a theme, and uh, they had three people commissioned three people to do a half hour. And Elizabeth Lawson, the poet, and me, and, uh, and a, a musician. I can't remember her name. Wrote songs based on the theme, and I can't remember what the theme was, but it fit into what I was thinking about anyway. And so I wrote the the first twenty minutes of it. So the first two kids, first I think the first two kids, at at that, and it was, and then they, and then they commissioned me to uh, to finish the piece. Do you think it, that you would have finished the piece had that? Would you have started the piece and gotten to completion without? Yes. Any external foundational? Yeah, thing? yeah, that one. I would, yeah, for sure. And is that I mean, because we you were, you were to do it. I, that's, I, that's because you knew that there would be a place to do well, it. Well, most of them I pr pr produce myself. We just rent the theater and get some friends to come down and do So you're greenlighting yourself. It. Yeah, greenlighting myself with pretty low budget stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. me. And then we split the money with Brett, you know, whatever, however we do it. Well, I was just going to note that uh, the other pieces that you did prior to that, and I'm pretty sure they were all with Brett also, uh, I'm thinking of Helium. I'm thinking of my last year with the nuns. Uh, those were more autobiographical, whereas this one was fictional. Um, right. What? What was it easier to d draw out the autobiographical material? Always oh, the same, because in essence, this was more. It was more fun. Well, even the autobiographical material is stretched. Yeah. It's just it's stretched because you know if I tell a story, as it really happened, as a snore, uh, anybody I think mm -hmm. you know so. If I really want to convey the essence of my experience, I have to, I have to convey the essence of my experience, which is to move it around. Mostly, it's moving things around, and when there's three characters, turn that into one character. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things, you know, the obvious, obvious stuff. But it was really, you know, I, one thing that was interesting. I got, a, I went to New York, so that I could get reviewed, with with all my children. All my well, I, I went I, to New York earlier with, for, with my last year with the okay. so I can get reviewed. Okay. And I did because I heard from Kurt Beatty, he said if you want to do something with the rep, you got to come from out of town. You got to get out of town reviews. And he was just being honest with me, you know. So it's a shame, but that's that's kind of the way things were working. And so I thought, okay, I got to find out if I can get if, you know, so I can find any good. You know, I'm going to go to New York and see if I can get. And I got really great reviews. So it was fantastic. Nobody came. Except for the reviewers, pretty much, and my friends from Seattle. I had a lot of friends from Seattle. And then I wanted to do the same thing with all my children because I thought it had some legs. 
But one of the reviews, well, go ahead, Joe. Oh, well, I was just going to go into my last year with the nuns a little bit, if we could, because we're in the neighborhood in which it took place right now when we're, as we're right. doing this podcast. And it is something that is so community-oriented, because amongst uh, our neighborhood and the people that uh, we grew up with, you know, many of them have come to see that show. And it's really it really speaks of a a certain time and a, and a certain place. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about the premise of that uh, and, and sure and how it reverberated through our community. Yeah, I, I will. I want, I must, first, I want to say something about yeah. all my children, then I, I would love, love to talk about that. The thing about, this would be interesting to you, I think, <clears throat> because I got one review in New York, All My Children, and he was talking about how when... Uh, a playwright, when they write a play, you're restricted by by what Keith Johnstone, our improv teacher, would call the circle of, of potential, circle of possibilities. And, with, you know, you, you can't have something happen that couldn't happen, right? In what sense? It, when you're writing a play. Like, like it you can't do, happen, like, physically, the well, theater can't make happen. it happen? You know, if you're, if you're seeing a movie and something happened, it just wouldn't happen in, in, in this, you know what I mean? It's like, okay. it's not, you know, you don't buy it. Gotcha. But if you're writing a a memoir and something happens, it's okay uh, yeah. because it really happened. Mm -hmm. And so he called this a fictional memoir because shit happens in all my children that couldn't, couldn't happen except it did. Mm. You when know you what I mean? He Until you called it, it. Who, the reviewer. The reviewer. Oh. Mm. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting that yeah. he said, I get, you can get away with something. Right. I'm just by... going to tell a story and then we can get to, so I had a similar experience in the sense that, uh, I uh, brought something to New York to get, I wanted to get reviewed. So uh, theater in New York was showing four of my films and one of them was Silence, which was a, a feature length film, but we performed all the sound, all the dialogue, all the music, all the effects live. And it was, you know, it was special in its own way. But when we got to New York, what I wanted was a review for the feature that I had finished because I thought if we get a review then something good will happen. And I hired was that, a publicist. Was uh, Money Buys Happiness? It was Money Buys Happiness. Here's a clip with Matt Smith and Megan Murphy playing actors who are recording a radio commercial for a mattress company. I'm sorry I was late. Hi, this is Steven. He's with Deep Sleep. Hi. Oh, hello. Ed, you'll be reading with him. Hi. It's nice to meet you. Let's do it. Can I talk to please? Thanks. Here you go. Thank you. I'm going to take you to Yes, Michelle. Please. Thank you. Actually, um, you could just take my sure. jacket, too. Thank sure. you very much. You're welcome. Excuse me. All right, All just right. let's read it. I don't really want you to do any acting, just I want to hear the words. <clears throat> this is a nice bed. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> really nice bed. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. uh, what are you... <clears throat> That's an unusual position. I just want to see the tag on this mattress. Oh, not again. It's an everywhere. Incredibly comfortable. Lifetime guarantee. They're on sale through Sunday. Only at Deep Sleep Mattresses. Oh, yes. I gotta go to Deep Sleep. I'll see you. Call me, Michael. Door it, slam. It's Mitchell. I gotta get a new bed. Deep Sleep Mattress, we let you down easy. Easily. Easy. I like easy. Go with easy. E e okay, Michelle will take you in and set you up with some headphones. 
Yeah, it's good. It's good. I'd like to... I mean, I want it to be done a certain way so the company looks good, but... It's good. Okay. Are you, are you going to eat that? The bagel? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a bite out of it before it dries up to spill. Told the publisher, like, I just want a New York Times review. Like, that's what I want. And, uh, well, we got the New York Times review. And it, this guy hated this movie like we had uh, just, you know, abducted his his family. <laughs> like, <laughs> but in any event, the funny part is uh, we got a lot of family members saying, oh, I saw your review. Because <laughs> it was full page. It was like a full page, big picture of Megan. Uh, saw the review. <laughs> uh, yes, as has been reviewed. Yes, yeah, yeah. as reviewed by the New York, <laughs> Times. The New York Times. Uh, the Post loved it. <laughs> anyway, tell the story. Yeah. Oh, it's not a story. I just, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of teeing up uh, my last year with it. Yeah. Times. So that's a show I didn't see, although everyone told me how great it was. Well, tell me, you could tell me watch a little the, bit about watch the movie afterwards. Well, here's the thing. So you're not going to, we'll get to you telling me about it. Th this is something I really want to explore. And it's a little, I'm a little nervous about saying it, Matt, because, uh, well, I'm coming from, I'm like your biggest fan when I see your theater shows. And when I, I did see uh, uh, the film of it. Oh, oh you saw Yeah, I film. saw the film. Oh. Oh. And it just it for me it doesn't have that missing ingredient mm, like it, it doesn't have that tension that that unbearable tension really it's a, it's so much about just mm. what it is to be alive and and it's hard to get that in you know in an adaptation of a stage show and uh, anyway I'm, I'm not leading anywhere I'm just saying it's interesting to me because obviously I do both as well and it's it's a struggle. That is really, that's very fascinating. I, I, I like the film. It worked for me, but uh, then I'm also a big fan of the stage show. And I actually thought it was uh, it was very different for, for sure. And you're right. The tension that's in the theater is, is kind of hard to get through the screen. But I, I thought it was a remarkably effective interpretation, a kind of a way to do the, the stage show, which clearly was not well, the stage It was show. much better than I was fearing it. For sure, yeah, because I had the same fear, and I didn't. It wasn't my idea. Even it was, uh, Michael Syrath wanted to. He'd been out of Northwest Film Forum. He wanted. He wanted to do a few things. He figured this would be a simple one to start with. One one person yeah. show. You know, Famous like, last words. But it was huge. And, and my, my only my only fear was that it would never get finished. And I asked people for money, and it wouldn't get done. That, I just had nightmares about that. Mm. And uh, but the, because of the, because of Michael. And Janessa, all these people who who were behind it, it just was completed. They just kept going, you know. I mean, it's, and it's hard. I mean, you know, you're a filmmaker. I'm not. I just trusted them to do it. But anyway, the, the, the performing get... it is a whole was a whole different thing, especially let's, at first. Let's get people on board at least the general premise of my last year with the nuns, so they kind of know what we're talking about. You want me to do it? Yeah, I'm happy to. Okay, so it's really about uh, you growing up in the 1960s, uh, right right here on on Capitol Hill, and uh, well, there's so many elements to it. It's a, it's an all Catholic neighborhood. Uh, centered around St. Joseph's School, and that's why it's called My Last Year with the Nuns, which is the eighth grade before you went to high school. And uh, it's in this very specific neighborhood that's all Catholic, and uh, because of the bank's redlining practice, uh, the kind of the basically white Catholic neighborhood was right next to the Central District, 
where all the uh, African Americans lived. And uh, so it's about interactions with the African American community. It's about growing up Catholic in an all Catholic uh, area. Uh, it's about um, uh, the the times of the '60s, which were very tumultuous uh, in so many ways. Am I am I capturing? No, the thank you. Idea? Yeah, that's right. And it's about. I mean, what what makes it? Well, you talk about this quality that is in all my children and the stuff I do. And thank you for that. Is that it? Also, it's kind of it's controversial in some. A lot of people don't are really not happy the way I depicted it because it depicts uh, racist, homophobic. Uh, little shit, who's lovable? You know, as lovable as I could make him. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and who throws out language that you just don't use? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And however, it was used then. I was trying to stay true to the stream of consciousness of a thirteen-year-old kid mm -hmm. then, who's not even aware that what he's saying is awful. You know is, what I mean? This would be like 1966. Well, that's that? kind of what I say. 66, yeah. 67. Yeah. And it's yeah. about it's about a paper route, and the paper route is on the other side of the red that's line. That's right. Yeah. Where and so there's African American neighborhood uh, on one side, which is where we are now, right. and the other side was Roy Street, which was right. virtually all white, yeah, uh, Catholic. So yeah, that that was it. But yeah, I remember I remember uh, performing. It was it was it was the most intense, almost the most probably the most intense performance experience uh, ever because depending on who was in the audience and I remember I asked an uh, African-American friend of mine to go see it I said okay tell me what you think about the you know afterward I didn't, I didn't say anything more about it and it was one of those nights when <laughs> there was more beer than normal which mm -hmm. the, the Capitol Hill crowd wow. was showing up wow. and they just wanted a, a reminiscence of old times wow. and wow. so they're going hey <laughs> Yeah, that kind of that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. this guy came up. He goes, "Okay, okay, Matt." He came into the. He goes, "All right, man. First of all, uh, I thought it was a great piece. I don't think you're a racist, and I gotta get the fuck out of here." Oh man! You know what I mean? It was just it was weird, and I felt how weird it was mm -hmm. because. And then I changed the delivery of it mm -hmm. because this one was one point where I'm, everybody's laughing, laughing, and then I throw out the the N word as he would have, as if it's no big deal, and it mm -hmm. shocks yeah, people, and right. so and yeah. so. And so it, 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 some people still be laughing, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it was complicated. So I had to, I had to play back the comedy of it. Right. Cause I had a stand up thing going cause yeah. that was really funny. Yeah. And, but it was just unfair. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, uh, and then to, to do that. And it was the whole point, too. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was doing it. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, point in the show when you see. This this homophobia and racism is just sort of thrown out there from the point of view of the thirteen year old kid who doesn't know who's continuing to laugh. Yeah, who, who yeah. doesn't know what what the real effect of it is. And then at this one point in the show, we we see in this shocking way what the consequences of the the racism is in indoctrinating the the younger yeah, kids he sees that yeah, he, and, he and gets he, it he sees that and it's like oh what what have i done or what 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 are we doing here um kind of a thing uh, i'm i'm trying not to you know spoiler alert the whole thing but is but it the, and so this powerful. is autobiography is how you think of it yeah so i was just reading uh a book uh, and the author mentions it, it's a book about writing memoir and the author mentions that proust uh before switching wrote hundreds of pages 
of his memories of childhood that were based on his, like, uh, what's the word? Voluntary memory. So like trying to think about, right? And then had this famous, who knows if it actually happened moment where he dips the madeleine and, and, and the taste brings back this involuntary memory. And he realized, oh, that's the rest of my life, basically, like is to pursue this uh, wherever it goes and threw away the hundreds of pages and felt that, and the author agrees, that it's only through involuntary memory that we really get to the core of what what it was, right? Um, and, it, and you have to kind of let it go where it goes. Um, where were you on that spectrum when you were writing? Well, this was more along the lines of taking stories that were part of the oral tradition of Capitol Hill boys. My dad grew up on Capitol Hill. My brothers grew up on Capitol Hill. And, you know, it, it was like a kind of feral. It wasn't, it wasn't poor, but it was, it was feral for sure. You know what I mean? It was like the average family probably had seven kids. And um, so some of the things that happened in this, my best friend did. I didn't. Some other things that, yeah, we were in the cop car together, but the thing about one guy, everybody, at one point where everybody's, uh, it actually happened, didn't happen to me, but there's three three of us in a cop car, right? And uh, one of the guy's name is, is uh, let's say, Jack Dempsey, I can't remember the name. So, and and I, the first guy gives a fake name, second guy gives an X name, the third guy gives a, gives a fake name, but he says Jack Dempsey, who's, who's sitting next to him. That, 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 that actually happened, right? So it didn't happen to me, but it had to be in the play, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that people would recognize uh, that happened, you know, things like that. John Elward, who's a capital actor, he was passed this last year, he was, he's the, pride of Capitol Hill mm. in the theater community. He was a, it was a big deal that he came from Seattle. You know, mm. And uh, he came to see the, the film and he said, he's six years older than me. And he said, he had the exact same cast of characters. Mm. He had a name, he had a, he had mm -hmm. a person for each person that I had that, that fell into it. So it's like mm -hmm. archetypal problem. Mm. So that's what it, mm. We'll be right yeah. back. This episode of The Uncertain Artist is sponsored by The Pink Door, a fantastic restaurant that has been an important part of my life for many years. I met my wife there. Both my kids have worked there. We've had numerous birthday parties and other family celebrations there. I even filmed a scene from my feature, The Wright Brothers, there. Are you looking for a place for lunch or dinner that pairs simple, seasonal Italian food with a strong sense of community and culture and a big-hearted generosity of spirit? Well, you're looking for The Pink Door. Located in the heart of the Pike Place Market since 1981. And we're back. I want to talk a little bit about episode 17. Um, let me start by saying for our audience, uh, so in creating episodes of The Uncertain Detective, uh, sometimes we'll have a relatively full crew, not Hollywood full, but, you know, indie full. Um, and most times uh, not, uh, mostly based on money, but also... Uh, I tend to be more comfortable with fewer people on set, et cetera. And what I'm completely relying on at that point is the actors. Like it's all about can the actors deliver because I'm not doing it through amazing camera work. Um, so I just went into our shoot with just full confidence because you were 
playing the part. And um, I remember it as being like super fun and and worked like gangbusters. But I don't want to put words into your mouth. But just tell me I was right. <laughs> oh no, that's, I oh I just walked in like I was going to have some fun. I mean, you know, I knew my lines yeah. and I knew I was going to be working with you guys. And I thought, oh, great. Yeah. That's all I remember. And it was, yeah, it was fun. And it was better. That was actually, it was more challenging than I expected because there was, there was dancing involved. Yeah. Yeah. So just and tell me course, a little bit about. Like, well, I, first I was with and... Megan. Okay. Here's my, the, what I was going to say though. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> because you're asking me about my process. It, it was really complicated for me. And I realized I shouldn't say this because I just, was talking about my process for 30 minutes so this is unfair for me to say that <laughs> but whenever i see actors talking about their process i just hate it i, I just hate it and i was on the ferry coming over here and i was thinking about i'm not gonna say my process not looking like it because they say yeah i do and they start taking themselves seriously yeah. as if this is a serious art form yeah i went and, to i went to artillery school for two years in order to prepare for the part well like, yeah that could, yeah right yeah, yeah you know and and it's i have a hard time taking acting and of course it's serious. Of course the amount of effort and, and training that goes into it is incredible, but I, I don't, I, I'm not a trained actor. I, I didn't go to acting school. All my stuff came out. I've only been in three or four plays, maybe six plays that I didn't have part in writing. You know what I mean? And then I was thinking, because I was taking the fear over here, I was thinking about Anna Olson, who was a student of mine, 30 years. And she, she, was, she, she got sick. And she was one of the most brilliant students improv students I ever had she was and she was like 15 doing this solo stuff that was off the charts and um I stayed in touch with her she died uh, several years later but at one point we were at Freehold which is an acting studio here in Seattle and I ran into her and she was talking she was still doing class she goes you know they talk about talk about being real you go to these acting classes and they're saying being real you know what I mean and I said this, hey it's not real this isn't real. If I want to be real, I'm going to be a nurse. And I'm thinking about going to nursing school so I can do something real. And ever since I heard that, I thought, that's a healthy approach for me. You know what I mean? It, well, the way, um, so here, here's the story. I, I, I do a bit for Almost Live, okay? And, and Jeff Weatherford, who- Almost Live is a, a comedy show that was on for many years here in Seattle. <laughs> Indeed. And Jeff Weatherford, who was in Money Buys Happiness, he's the lead guy, right? Yeah. In Money Buys Happiness. And he is a trained actor, went to Juilliard, very, very accomplished actor. And he asked me how I developed the character for this almost live bit. And I, and I, yeah. And, 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 and just as a comedy person, I, I just thought, what? Developed a character? I just did that bit. You know, I was just doing the bit. So, I, so I talking about how this isn't real, my character in Uncertain Detective is often giving advice on how to act in a pretty pretentious way. And the line he repeats is, don't pretend you're not pretending. Yeah. And that line actually came from, so the first, so we shot uh, for years, Super 8 movies. Uh, often we would incorporate them in our shows, a crew of me. And then I made my first feature, which uh, had a real crew, you know, lots of people. And and um, I think we'd done one day and then we were on day two and I went in for a close-up on Megan. And it was actually the first close-up. 
And I'm used to Megan just, you know, mm. and uh, it was like a line, one line. And she could, it was bad. Like mm. it just wasn't good. And I think we did a few takes, you know, and all I'm thinking is this is money <laughs> running through the camera. And then I said, you know what, let's take a break. I don't know what's going on. We'll figure it out. And I took a walk and it came back and Megan said, I got it. And I said, okay. So action and she nails it. And then later I said, well, what was it? And she said, well, I realized that what I was doing, because now it's this crew all around me and the cameras moved in for a close up and I was pretending they weren't there. Mm. And that's the last thing you want to do, right? Is block yourself off as an actor. And so she decided, yeah, come on in and I'll just embrace it all. Oh, and, that's and, really Yeah, it was nice, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a big lesson I learned that's uh, cool. from her. Yeah. Um, did we get through your your uh, under your story that you wanted to tell? <laughs> I think we did. No, and then what came to Uncertain Detective. Yeah. Um, if there's a process, it's okay. I want to. I want to survive this. See, that's not what I think. What I think of you, because you used the word obstacle earlier, and when I think of working with you, I think, oh, Matt likes to either have an obstacle or create an obstacle that he has to overcome in the moment. That's kind of how I see your performing. Mm. And then I'm thinking, but I kind of like the lines. <laughs> and so like, you know, how's this going to work? Oh, cool. And I, I really enjoy that, but it's a, for me, it's a bit of like, mm. uh, there's a bit of bullfighter bull going on when I'm working with you just to like, cause we're both have this kind of way that we want it to go. That's, oh, that's only really a good thing. It's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, I have to have, you know, if I, if I don't, my first, for, since I'm not a trained actor, my great fear is I'm going to not know my lines. And so I do that over and over. And then I, I've got it. Here I am talking about my process, but it's such a crude process because learn my lines and then I'll be okay. And I say them over and over again. And then finally, I I have to say them in a way that I don't feel like a jackass. That's it. I, by, by survive, I mean that. I don't feel like a, just a shitty actor after mm -hmm. I said that line. But I'm really curious now about this dynamic that you're talking about, uh, particularly since I had just seen that scene, uh, the, the the episode 17 scene. Um, and I'm thinking, what? how do you relate to the question of you creating an obstacle for yourself uh, in in that scene? I'm, I'm, I'm just, does that, does that well, resonate? I just know when I got a note. I'm always grateful for notes. I mean, other than that, you drive yourself crazy. Mm. You have to learn how to be grateful for notes anyway. Right. right. But uh, first there's, oh, shush, what he's talking about. And then it sinks in. And then, okay. Like like Megan said. Okay. I think I, I, think I know what he wants. Yeah, that, yeah. That's an interesting part about directing, especially, well, no, it's no different really film or theater. Every actor needs to receive a note in their own way. And uh, part of, directing is learning what they need and how best to you know some people just tell me what to do <laughs> and other people are like the last thing you can do is tell me what to do like tell me what a dog would do or however like they need to receive the note and uh i find that like an interesting challenge um in theater it's what i when i would do theater i thought i was good at it like that was something i felt like i could work with actors well in moving into films, especially like with Uncertain Detective, where we typically have like no time, right? Everybody's on a very tight schedule. Um, you just have, you know, you have to hope 
like you give the note and you have to hope that it, it doesn't resonate the wrong way. You know, do, what else do you, do you, do either of you remember a note that you got for, uh, for that particular no. scene? Uh, if you're working with guys at that level, you are hired because you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't expect any notes. And, you know, so I really love it when, mm. when, when, when I, so I'm glad you said it. that because as I was talking, I was kind of calling myself a liar because mostly I don't in film give notes like you, you don't have time. Do. Yeah. And, and do your work. Like I, yes, John Heldy is a local guy who made a film. This I was in it. I really shot it last, uh, last fall. And it was, was nice because he, he would just, uh, he really would try to help me go deeper with it, and he'd take some, take some time with mm -hmm. me, and I really appreciate it. And I went home thinking, okay, either I nailed it or I'm awful. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I got beyond this kind of normal comfort level, and I looked mm -hmm. really goofy, hallmarky, or I'm just fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to go. <laughs> I don't want to know. Wow. Okay, yeah. so I want to know, what are you working on now? Well, I'm, I'm living in Quill scene. And, uh, which is a ferry ride from here. Yeah, you go to Bainbridge Island, which is just right off for downtown, 30-minute ferry ride. And it's an hour drive to get up there on the Olympic Peninsula. And we moved a house onto this property we bought several years ago, an old 1920s uh, Sears craft. Picked house. up a house and moved it. I yeah. didn't do it myself. but yeah. uh, No, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> making no, no, a kidding. joke. But uh, I mean, it's a house that pre It's an old house and it had been abandoned for years. So... Yeah. Uh, we paid a dollar for it, and then. So you're working the house. We paid more than a dollar for it now, but it's standing. Yeah, so I'm. I'm well, not working on it. That's I used to answer to the nickname useless, and it's, it's something I cultivated, you know, so that no one would ever ask me to help them with anything. So I, I've never had any interest in fixing anything, but now I'm learning. In the last few years, I learned everything. Okay, but at one point you must have gone. I mean, you're in Sleepless in Seattle, Spider-Man 1 or 2, I can't remember, you know, uh, other things. 1, one 2, and 3. 1, 2, and 3, there you go. <laughs> That's why they did 3, was That's to right. bring you back. Um, so you must have either had more opportunities available in the world, or you must have just been more interested in hustling for them than you are now, or they don't like older people. What, what, what's no, what, Like right now? Yeah. Well, I used to audition. In Seattle, when there was nothing really, not much to audition for, and this was this was even when there was like like when I we did sleep in Seattle, I just lucked out because I would get like one in thirty, you know what I mean, and I talked to uh, Susie Dixon about it. I said, "Listen, I'm gonna, I, 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 I might wrap this up because I'm only getting like one in thirty. She goes, one in thirty, yeah, that's about right. Mm -hmm. That's your share." I said, "Really?" She goes, "Yeah," um, and so I could have either gotten my one in 30 could have been a Boeing industry about how to use a fire extinguisher or Sleepers in Seattle. And I got Sleepers in Seattle. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, so I just, I was, you know, fortunate to have two or three experiences that I can put on a resume. Got it. All right. We have a question yeah. from our audience. Uh, what's the question of the day, Gravy? Josh from Seattle wants to know if you had to give up being in front of the camera or behind it, which one would you give up? Oh, I thought you were saying on stage or 
Well, I'm, you can answer both. Okay. Well, number one, I've I've never really been behind the camera. Oh, that's uh, an easy. So that's to give easy. Up, yeah. <laughs> but if it were between uh, stage or screen, that's easy too, because you really don't have to try very hard to give up uh, film acting, because people have to ask you. To it's do not it. like you can decide. Easily. Yeah, there's no Let's way that, that I would like I would decide your shows. right, and I can write a show for myself, and I can write a little bit. Uh, as far as performance. These days, Joe and I, as a matter of fact, occasionally are going down to Unexpected Productions and doing a half-hour uh, two-person improv set. That's a theater that? in Pike Place Market? Yeah. So down the, by the gum wall. Right. The show's called Loose Cannons. And we, we've done it three times. The first time was like so much better than I thought it would be. Second time was pretty good. Third time was awful. And, it's, and, I, and I recognized that that was my, that was me. You know what I mean? I'm an improv teacher, and I know. And I know I, unfortunately, I know, I know what I was doing. I was just you know, you, you have to to do that kind of stuff. I have to, because since I don't do it very often, really get in, into a state of absolute gratitude mm -hmm. for everything, or I start to play snarky characters and or sexual characters. You know, things like that. There's everybody has their go tos. Right that they do when they're tired, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever. And it, and it was really interesting. And it's, and it's, these are kind of a bad taste to do that. So we have to do at least one more. You know, we have to pick ourselves up off the ground. No, but seriously, the first two were really terrific. In fact, uh, there's a YouTube clip that I posted of uh, about 10 minutes of one of our. See, this, things. this is back to where we were at the beginning. Like if I did a live thing, I would never send someone to the YouTube clip of it. I would think that Neither would I. everything about it <laughs> that was interesting no, would be I, missing from the, like I, I it wouldn't a, stick to the video. I'm with you. I was, I was, I didn't, I didn't want You to probably didn't want me to post it. I didn't want to post it. I, I just find it so interesting. I, 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 I mean, I, I personally find it really fascinating to, 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 to look back at, at the 10 minutes. You're saying I find well, my plus, work you know, so a, interesting. And one of the things is some people are better at promoting no, themselves. Yeah, and but... I'm not. I hate it. I don't. I, I don't. I, I, I. You know. I would not put that on there. And you did, and that's fine. You know. So I, I have to push back. I find that just looking at game films or of of improv that that works or doesn't work is really fascinating. It's not particularly that it's Matt and I. Just right. uh, any 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 game films that one can look at, see why does this work or not work. Okay, so you're looking at those with a sort of practitioner's eye and trying to learn. As opposed to being a neutral audience member being entertained. And, true. And as a self-employed person, you want people to know that we're doing this. That is true. Yeah. yeah. And I'll concur. You're terrible at self-promotion. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Um, well, this has been great. And I hope we can do it again sometime. It goes quick, doesn't it, these podcasts? Well, as I said before, I learned Maybe that no one can resist their own story. Yeah, yeah, right. And well, talk about true. me. Let's, let's do it, man. How do you think we did as a podcast? As a podcast, we're now three in, so we should be a little bit oh, okay at what we're doing. The, you can be blunt. Well, I think I think we are fascinating. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, when you get in, you're talking. I say, you know, I'm more interested than I thought I was. <laughs> Listen to me. So, All right. Well, I'll uh, do my outro on that. So, thanks very much, and we'll can keep talking as soon as. That's great. As, thanks, uh, Joe. Yeah, we're done here. Thanks, Pat. 
please join us next time for another episode of The Uncertain Artist. And if you have a question we can ask our guest in a future episode or ask ourselves, drop it to us in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or email it to us. Our email is theuncertainartist at gmail.com. Also, save the date. Season three of The Uncertain Detective will premiere February 26th of 2024, 7 p.m. at the SIF Film Center right next door to Climate Pledge Arena. We will follow the screening with a live taping of this podcast, so come join us. Tickets are free and can be reserved through the Seattle International Film Festival website. We hope to see you there.